0: The Lakers escaped last night with an overtime victory over the shorthanded Timberwolves. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. And for the latest on the Lakers, we're now joined in the sports zone by Harrison Fagan of Silver Screen Enrolled. Harrison, long time no took. Uh, no talk. Good to talk to you once again. And uh, am I being too harsh saying that the Lakers escaped last night?
1: No, I, I mean, well, first of all, Bob, I, I just want to say I'm glad to be back finally on a night when it's not or a morning when it's not like, you know, massive Lakers dysfunction or something preceding it. They actually like I'm back for good reasons. Finally, they did it. Um, and uh, so glad to be back. And uh, no, I don't think that you're being too harsh by saying the Lakers escaped last night. I, I think uh, that is really uh, the only way that you could kind of characterize the game in which they, you know, came back from down double digits for most of you know or a good chunk of the first half and second half you know somehow hit a what would have been a game winner and then have their best defensive player commit you know one of the dumbest defensive fouls you'll ever see in that situation send the game to overtime and then kind of you know they ended up pulling it out but yeah i think escape is probably the only correct term to use to describe
0: that game okay so how did the lakers escape
1: You know, I think it was, they got, I think Anthony Davis was for the most part outside of putting himself in a position to get called for that foul on Mike Conley, you know, in the closing seconds, I think he was incredible defensively for the most part on, on the night and was a real monster kind of on both ends on the glass, realized that his teammates weren't really hitting shots at all. And, you know, was kind of going up there like a wide receiver in the middle of like a Hail Mary scrum, just like trying to tip or you know get his hands on every single ball he could to keep possessions alive so I think that was a big factor and then honestly Dennis Schroeder you know making Mm -hmm. a case is one of I think one of the better minimum signings I think a team has ever had in terms of you know coming up obviously huge with that three last night that would have won the game for them if not for that kind of last second foul on Conley and just overall amazing down the stretch and for the entire second half after tweaking his ankle in the first half, and, you know, it wasn't clear if he was going to come back. And on a night when, you know, Austin Reeves probably played, especially considering circumstances, the worst game of his NBA career, D'Angelo Russell was really, really bad as well. The Lakers needed every single point they got from Dennis, and then obviously LeBron was, uh, you know, transcendent offensively.
0: Okay, so let's get into Schroeder a little bit here. I mean, he's had some good moments in his career and not some good moments in his career. So how would you describe his season (laughs) to date with the Lakers?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think especially when you consider the salary slot that he's in, where he's on a veteran's minimum contract instead of that, you know, $84 million he uh, turned down. Uh, a couple years ago from the Lakers, uh, only to end up taking the mid-level exception in free agency. But, um, you know, for the Lakers this year, it's been a major luxury having a guy that, you know, they tried to give $84 million to a couple years ago on the veterans minimum. You know, that has given them stability, I think, at that reserve point guard slot that a lot of teams just don't have if their kind of backup is making that little money. And I certainly don't think that he's going to be back on the minimum or anything next year. I think he's made a pretty solid case for himself to get at least a multi-year deal this summer from some team, uh, you know, either looking for, probably looking for a reserve point guard. It does seem like that is indeed the role that is best suited for him, but he just is someone that, you know, whether it was the first half of the year when they had Russ as someone who allowed them to sit Russ down the stretch of games because he, you know, was a good enough floor general, good enough facilitator and scorer, you know, his speed just on getting the ball inbounds late in games has been invaluable multiple times where he just outruns his defender and gets to, you know, an inbounds path. Uh, you know, he's just someone that has given them uh, the luxury of having sort of a different guard that they can close with if their starting guards don't have it going
0: the lakers they have the best record in the west since the all-star break is does, does this signify that the lakers are playing well or that the western conference has been kind of a kind of a festival of inconsistency
1: yeah, i like festival in, of inconsistency i may steal that from you um, you, you know i think <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit of both you know the the west as i'm sure you're, you and your listeners are well familiar with has been really bad this year for the most part and just really really you know, inconsistent, uneven, just all over the place on night to night. You don't really, there's no team where you're looking at them and you're like, yeah, you know, that's a team that looks unbeatable going into the playoffs in in basically any, you know, seeding group, even the Suns, who I think are probably the favorite. You know, certainly I don't think there's anyone saying they're unbeatable or, you know, they're going to roll through the Western Conference and they have no flaws, you know. It it is, a a lot of this is that the West is pretty uneven on night to night. But I also think that it is indicative of, two other things. Number one, that the Lakers, they have a real NBA supporting cast around their two star players now, even without LeBron for a good chunk of that record. You know, this team is just so much more functional now that they've broken up that Russell Westbrook $50 million into multiple useful role players. And it's just fleshed out their depth. And Anthony Davis, you know, it's allowed him to sort of, you know, thrive and have that support around him, both in terms of shooting and defensively. To where you know the stars aren't having to do every single thing themselves and so i think that that has been probably uh like the biggest factor in all of this as well as just like every single game has been do or die for them and so they've been playing like it for months and i think that you started to see some of that fatigue hit over the last couple weeks they very much needed to win that game last night i think to get some rest before this week weekend rather than playing a second play-in game and so yeah i mean i, I think it's all of those factors
0: Harrison Fagan of Silver Screen and Roll, Coring in the Sports Zone. All right, so let's talk about some of these pieces here. How does D'Angelo Russell fit in? And considering his history, I probably, maybe I should ask, does he fit in?
1: Yeah, so I think, I think he does fit in. I think last night was – actually, no, last night was definitely the worst game he has played in a Laker uniform since returning. Uh, You know, the team actually until that Clippers loss about a week ago, I think we're 8-0 with him in the lineup. He's been in and out with a couple different injuries here, but when he's been in, his kind of combination of shooting and facilitating has given them a pretty good dynamic and sort of the perfect LeBron James point guard, a guy that can play on or off ball and sort of initiate. But last night, like, I don't know if he ate a bunch of popcorn before the game or what was going on. But that was, you know, he was throwing the ball all over the place, getting it stripped everywhere, just seemingly could not hold on to it, could not hit a shot at all. And then, you know, uh, he is certainly a guy that's never been known for his defense and nothing he did last night is going to change that. And so, you know, I think he is a guy who is much, much better than he showed last night. But he's also a guy that we've seen that look, I'm I'm a fan of his game, but he's a guy that go back to last year's, you know, uh, playoff run for the Timberwolves. There were games where he was benched down the stretch and there were games where he was good for them down the stretch. He is a streaky guy and he's going to be up and down and there, you know, against Memphis. He'll probably win them a game or two or at least help out. And then there's probably going to be a game or two where they end up having to sit him down the stretch like that is just sort of. You know, he is a little bit of a microcosm of the modern NBA in that, you know, when his jumper is falling, he looks lethal and like the third best player on the team. And when it's not, you know, all of a sudden he's looking a lot less useful and you're looking for other options on the bench.
0: Rui Hachimura, I mean, he helped some last night. Uh, How's he fit in since uh, since he was acquired via the trade?
1: Yeah, I honestly, when he came over, I was not super familiar with his game and early on, I didn't. See a lot of like kind of why le- he just he it seems like almost like they were sort of going for a poor man's Kyle Kuzma like a little bit just like he was kind of you know uh, his shot wasn't all that great he wasn't really defending but you know to his credit he has really I think risen as the circumstances have risen for the Lakers he's been one of their best players certainly uh, arguably their best role player other than Austin Reeves I guess over the last couple months uh, or last month or so as they've really been pushing to make the playoffs and I was you know, blown away last night. He was one of the few guys on the court last night that really looked like they rose to the occasion rather than wilting, uh, you know, in that sort of must win game. And it did give me a lot of optimism for, you know, that he is the sort of role player that is going to, you know, step up when these games start to matter. And I thought that he just, from his rebounding and he's really tried to make a difference on the glass, I think he's figured out that that's the way that he could get minutes. He's become a much better defender and more willing and, sort of attentive defender as the season has gone on and as he's playing for a team with a bit more stakes now than the Wizards, you know, there was that game uh, a couple weeks ago against the Timberwolves where he really had Carl uh, Anthony Towns, you know, uh, kind of, you know, in some trouble and was really kind of clamping him down a little bit and obviously less so last night, but I thought he was still trying and making it at least a little difficult on him and cats just ridiculous and his combination of skill and shooting and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I really like his sort of, you know, what the dynamic that he's brought on both ends, even if, he, you know, he's not a perfect defender, but in the right matchup, he's physical enough to give you some good minutes on certain types of scores.
0: You mentioned Reeves, obviously not good last night, but you know, he's really become an offensive threat. The Suns learned that, a, a, you know, a few couple of games ago, a few games ago now. Uh, when he pretty much destroyed them. Are you surprised that he's become an offensive threat? I,
1: not surprised. I'm surprised that he's become this degree of an offensive threat in year two. You know, he's a guy that, even watching him last year, you could sort of see, okay, like this is a guy that might be able to be like sort of, you know, kind of backup point guard, really high IQ guy. The shot kind of wasn't there. And, but, you know, he was uh, at least a willing defender, even if he got overpowered sometimes because of just like sort of fundamental strength issues that are going to get better, I'm sure, as his career goes on. But then this year, he really has, you know, sort of brought this combination of skill and craftiness that you thought might be there eventually. But I certainly didn't expect it in year two to be this effective. And, you know, you saw some of it last night. Some of that, is, the refs are going to swallow their whistles a bit more in the playoffs. And so, you know, even though he's a guy that attempts to he was up there in the league and and ones this year, he's a guy that when he's drawing contact, it's not like a Trey Young, James Harden, where he's just kind of flailing, you know, trying to get a call or something like that. He is genuinely, you know, taking contact and trying to make a legitimate basketball play. But sometimes when he's not getting those whistles and the shots not falling, that's going to look a little worse. But he's someone that he's just he's crafty. He has these kind of, you know, like up and unders, these fakes, incredible footwork good passer, high IQ ball mover. You know, he is a guy that I think is a playoff player, you know, despite what maybe anyone watching last night kind of saw where he really struggled. But even then he was still, I think he got like 39 minutes just because the Lakers didn't have a whole lot of other options. And he at least looked up for, up for the moment, even if he was a little afraid to shoot, I think in the second half.
0: I'm not real sure if this next topic is even a legitimate question or topic, but the, the Wolves played, I know they played some zone defense last night. I think they were playing more than some, but the Lakers didn't move the ball much, so I had a tough time figuring out what defense the Wolves were actually playing. But I'm curious if the Lakers had some issues against zone defenses.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I th- definitely more earlier on in the year, less so since the trade deadline. They have, you know, they've acquired enough shooting to where they can sort of make those teams pay. But also, you know, if you're an NBA team and you're trying to defend uh, a roster with LeBron, a lineup with LeBron James and Anthony Davis in it, and, you know, you got, say, let's say, like Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, And, you know, like Troy Brown out there, like, who are you going to try and make beat you? And, you know, a zone is Mm -hmm. sort of a natural recipe to try and make those other guys beat you from outside. And if they do, then so be it. I don't think that it's something that teams could play, you know, an entire game against them. We saw the Lakers in the third quarter. They went to that LeBron at center lineup and really just were getting whatever they wanted at the rim type of stuff. And so it's not going to work permanently, but it is something I think that you could employ, especially in that against starting lineup when, you know, you have Reeves, who's, you know, a, a, an iffy shooter. You have D'Angelo Russell, who's a really good shooter, but is freaky at times. And then you got Jared Vanderbilt, who's really not a shooter at all. You know, zone may be the way to go against those starters at times and try to, you know, either force them to make shots or, uh, or beat you with a different lineup. And so I do think that's something that could have some effectiveness and doses against them for sure
0: talking lakers with harrison fagan a silver so, screen and roll all right so let's look ahead lakers in memphis in the first round what are some key matchups that we should be focused on
1: i think the anthony davis jaron this is an obvious one but the ad jaron jackson jr one is going to be uh, like i think pretty pivotal J- uh jjj is a guy that has been in a lot of foul trouble you know throughout his career and has not i, I think he commits you know, it, he, he's averaged like 28 minutes a game this year and, uh, you know, three and a half fouls or whatever it is. But, like he's a guy that does foul quite a bit, even though he's an incredible defender, obviously, just a little foul happy and a little foul prone. Um, and so AD typically this year has been has been able to kind of cook guys like that or get them on the bench because his, his kind of combination of size and speed and craftiness and, you know, uh, like shot making and stuff like that. So he's able to get guys on their heels, get and ones, draw quick fouls. We saw him do that cat a little bit last night. And so I think that is, if AD can get Jaron Jackson Jr. in foul trouble, I think the Grizzlies are going to have some problems defensively. Then you obviously have, you know, Dylan Brooks versus LeBron is, I think, the matchup that a lot of people are going to be excited about. Almost as much off the floor as on the floor. But the thing that I've sort of been saying is, like, eventually there's going to be a guy who's, like, one of these sort of loud trash talkers, physical defenders that is going to kind of get the best of LeBron. But so far, I don't know that we've seen that yet. You know, your Lance Stevenson's in the past, your Deshaun Stevenson's, you know, whatever. Like, LeBron typically finds a way to use those guys kind of, you know, uh, like foul happiness, physicality against them as the series goes along. And so we'll see if Dylan Brooks is kind of the guy to get the best of LeBron in that respect. Uh, but, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't necessarily be betting on it. I think that this is a winnable matchup for the Lakers. I, I don't know if they all, will or should be favored. But, you know, could this, could they beat this team four times, this Grizzlies team four times in seven games, you know, with sort of the Grizzlies missing Steven Adams, missing Brandon Clark, you know, sort of not having as much physicality around the rim to deal with AD? Like, I think this is certainly a winnable matchup. For them, and then obviously in Lakers home games, you're going to have to watch for Shannon Sharp versus the entire Grizzlies team.
0: Can can we get a pool started? Uh, how many minutes before Brooks gets a technical foul in this series?
1: I don't I don't know if there's any odds maker that would take that bet. Honestly, I, I would question <laughs> their, uh, their their uh, their like how much they know about other odds if they're willing to take that money.
0: Give it a try. All right, so the Lakers, they faced Morant before. How have they tried to slow him down and how might they try to slow him down in this series?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think I think Jared Vanderbilt is probably going to get the first crack at that matchup like he has on most teams, best scorers. Morant he just may be a little too fast for that kind of defender. This is a matchup where honestly I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the series Dennis Schroeder is starting, just as kind of that speedy point of attack like yeah, ball, ball pressure pest against Morant, that just may be a matchup that makes more sense. But, again, you know, we'll see. Those are probably the two primary guys that I would guess will start to get that. Like, Austin, I'm not sure, is going to be able to make that match. Like, I think Morant is going to be too speedy, going to get him in foul trouble. I'm not sure that that is going to work there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think those are probably the three guys uh, that are going to get, you know, the first cracks at it.
0: Okay, last up, I want to use your Western Conference knowledge here. So, uh, kind of what's your assessment of uh, the Western Conference? I guess we kind of start with the Nuggets. Do you believe in the Nuggets? They are the number one seed.
1: I I believe in the Nuggets, you know, ability to beat whoever comes out of tonight's playing game. Uh, I, I don't think that the Pelicans or the Thunder are going to knock them off with all due respect to those team seasons. But I, I don't – I still, you know uh, – I am not going to believe in one of these teams built around sort of one of these big burly centers until they actually sort of win a playoff series or win, like, you know, go to the finals in the 2020s. Like, I'm I'm just not – it's the same concern that I have about Embiid and the Sixers. It's just, you know, even though Embiid is a little bit more two-way than Jokic, I'm just not sure if you can make it through – you know, three or four rounds of the playoffs with a center that you sort of have to hide defensively, no matter how good they are offensively, just in the modern game. And so we'll see. I don't entirely believe in them, although I do, you know, obviously they're great. And I think in the right matchup and given how disappointing the West has been, they could certainly advance to the finals and make this look dumb, but I, I they wouldn't be my first pick. No.
0: Okay. So uh, who would be your first pick from the West to likely face the Bucks or the Celtics in the finals?
1: You know, honestly, your listeners are going to love this. But for me, it's it's the Suns. You know, it's not just the record since they got KD when he's played, which is what, like 8-0 now or something like that? (laughs) Uh, You know, I know that they've been incredible when he's in the lineup. And he just is someone that, you know, you look at every single team in the West, and I'm just not sure if anyone has someone who can defend Kevin Durant. And there aren't a whole lot of teams. That have guys that can defend Kevin Durant, but you know he—you don't even see someone where it's like you know that that looks like a guy that can make life difficult on him for you know at, le- at least make it tough on him for 48 minutes. You know the Lakers would be throwing Jared Vanderbilt out there, and I like what Vando brings, and I think that he's a talented defender, but and, and has done like a great job on sort of similar ISO scores like Brandon Ingram and stuff like that. But even you know even there, it's just like KD can just get his shot against anyone, and if the Suns are healthy you know, it's just hard for me to pick against them or to not think that they're the favorite to come out of the West, even with as little sort of cohesion as they have. They're certainly beatable, especially, you know, given sort of Chris Paul's struggles this year and given sort of DeAndre Ayton that we've seen him kind of go up and down in the playoffs and that Kevin Durant is, is not always, you know, the most durable of the last couple of years. So yeah, anything can happen, but I think they certainly should be the favorite.
0: Thanks, Harrison. Always a fountain of information. We appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no, happy to come. uh, Especially happy to come back when it is not to discuss, like, here's the latest dumb thing (laughs) the Lakers did.
0: (laughs) My pleasure to have you back at that time, too. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Harrison Fagan of Silver Screen and Roll, excellent stuff as always.